Hello and welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from TLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. And I'm Greg Roche. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing chapter 10 from the book Customer Satisfaction. So this chapter is on basic analysis. So previous chapter, we've talked about having a questionnaire, how we structure the questionnaire. Quite a bit of that will be numbers, some will be comments. So how do we now start turning the information we've got How do we analyse it in a way that starts leading to some actionable Mm. outcomes? Yeah, and as I think I might have mentioned in the chapter on the questionnaire, really, this is kind of backwards. You need to think about this before you design the questionnaire. Um, So hopefully you uh, have read the whole book before sort of setting off to do your research. Uh, But yeah, I think the the analysis in a way, it's the kind of heart of doing the measurement properly, is understanding what you can do with different types of question, how you can use that to to understand what's going on inside customers' heads. Uh, And that's always what we're trying to do, really, is find a fair way of representing what we know about how customers feel. Um, And I suppose the starting point is to understand, you know, on average, how satisfied are our customers. And as the book explains, um, and some of you will probably remember this from doing, you know, GCSE or O-level maths or whatever it was, there are three types of average. Yeah. Do you remember what they are, Greg? <laughs> mean, mode, median. Mean, mode, and median. And when was the last time you looked at anything other than a mean? Um, on average, quite a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the mean average is, is what people normally uh, mean when they say average. It, it is the sum divided by the number of cases. It's for most purposes, particularly with the kind of 10-point scale question that we're normally looking at, it's usually by far the most interesting and and the sort of best uh, type of average. The median has its place as well. I think the median is something I'd turn to whenever you're looking at data that has a heavy skew to it. A lot of the time it's anything to do with money. So if you're looking at spend or if you're looking at, say, average salary, if we have a sample of customers with Richard Branson in and you're looking at income, um, there's one huge outlier that's going to make the mean average a lot, lot higher than what's normal. Yeah. You need to be conscious of outliers. Yeah, and it, so outliers put this massive skew in the, in the data that, that the median is, is much less sensitive to than the mean is. So w- when you're looking at data that looks like that, um, particularly if you it, it tends to be stuff like money, um, yeah. and when you've got outliers in your data but you don't want to delete them, then the median is, looking at the median as well as the mean is a good way to understand what's the shape of this. So for example, if you, if you wanted to say what's the average salary in the UK, the mean is really quite high because there's, there's a small number of very, very, very rich people. The median is a better representation of what feels typical. Yeah, yeah. Don't use the mode at all. I actually cannot think of a time when it's a useful thing to look at. And I'm sure there are exceptions, but but certainly the types of data that we deal with, I, I can't think of a time I've ever used it. Yeah. So the, the mode, just for the record, is, is the most common value in, in the data. Yeah. I think just to drop down one level, standard deviations are really important mm. you know, it, you know, it, you know, in this concept, both on importance and on satisfaction, to look at the range of scores that are making up that average. And I think that's probably the first bit of insight dropping down that level. We've got an average score of this, mm-hmm. which is interesting, but it's made up of a consensus, a small standard deviation. Everyone thinks that. That's interesting. 
oh, actually, there's, there's a diversity of views about that. Oh, where's that diversity come from? This customer mm -hmm. versus that customer, yeah. or this experience versus that experience. That's, I think, your first drop into the world of, 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 of insight. I agree, and, and I think one of the things that troubles me a little bit with, with measurement, or sort of re research measurement, is we often rush to one number. Yeah. So, you know, the, these 500 customers, we'll summarise that into a you know, satisfaction index of 82.3. And that's, you need that. You need, a, you know, a, an estimate of how do our customers out there feel. But behind that 82.3 is, is a whole distribution. Yeah. You know, it'll, it'll probably range from 100 down to whatever your lowest score might be. You know, it might be 30 or something like that. Uh, and it'll be broadly a normal distribution, give yeah. or take. Yeah. And that means that you know most people are quite close to that average, but there is that range. And you need to understand the shape of that distribution. Yeah. Standard deviation is one tool that helps you do that. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting looking at Stephen waving his arms around to describe normal distribution curves <laughs> here. It looks like a really bad effort of doing the YMCA dance, to be, <laughs> to, to, to be honest. I'm describing a bell curve. Right, okay, is that what it is? Yeah. Um, and quite often it's not a bell curb in the in the world of customer satisfaction measurement it, it tends to be a bit skewed to the positive because most customers will probably will probably be more liking you than disliking you because they are a customer and have chosen to remain which i think goes back to one of the points we said about why a 10 point numerical scale is good it, it lets you really get into the granularity of that positively that's skewed true. Yeah. bell curve there you are that's me doing a bell, a, a bell curve yeah, and I think and just a small point on standard deviation is that you know you can understand it in a sort of an approximate way, and say so, you know, this gives us a sense of how you know how varied the responses is, how what, how broad that distribution is behind the average. Um, it, it's quite a hard thing to understand exactly what it's telling you unless you dig into you know it, you can think of it as the average distance that each score is away from the, from the mean score. Yeah, and that's. That's broadly true. Yeah. Um, I sometimes think it's useful to look at, at more concrete measures of, of kind of that, the, the width of that range. So I like the interquartile range, right? Which is showing you, the, you know, how broad is the middle fifty percent of this data. So you know, from the twenty fifth percentile to the seventy fifth percentile. Yeah. I like that because it says, you know, what is what's the box? Yeah. Um, literally, in the case of a box and whisker plot, but what's what's yeah. the box within which most of people, yeah. most of our customers yeah. are falling? And that's good, certainly for sort of year one surveys. We want to find out what we're doing. What do we need to fix that's going to hit most hit most customers? And I think in terms of sort of basic you know analysis, it's probably three or four things, isn't it? You know, we want to understand how important. We want to understand how satisfied. And we want to put those two against each other. Um, we want to understand what people are dissatisfied. We want to understand why they're dissatisfied, mm -hmm. um, and we probably want to understand a little bit about what's driving their their sort of loyalty. Um, I think the chapter covers all, all sort of three yeah. or four of those things. And for someone who hasn't, or for an organisation that hasn't really done any analysis, that's all really quite powerful stuff. Mm. Well, it is. I mean, it, it, the chapter's called Basic Analysis. Uh, to be honest, it, if you've not done this kind of work before, it probably doesn't feel very basic. There's quite a lot of work to do, especially if you're doing this you know, on your own with Excel for the first yeah. time. There's a significant amount of work here. And there's some slightly 
obscure concepts. So you might not have met standard deviations before, for example. Mm. If you want to work out impact, then you're going to need to understand correlation. Yeah. Um, and it might be worth just quickly sort of talking about correlation and how it works and what what it shows. Okay. I can see you throwing that one at me. So correlation is looking at the linkage between um, between two things. And typically, as well as asking the satisfaction requirements on a questionnaire, we, we ask overall how satisfied is a customer. And we're looking to see, is there a link or a pattern between how people scored that individual requirement and how they scored the overall question. So for example, if people scored the overall question highly, did they also score that um, individual requirement highly? And if they scored the overall question low, did they score that individual question low? Because if that's the pattern, maximum correlation would be sort of plus one in these. If you see that strong diagonal line, there seems to be a lot of linkage there a lot of correlation between how they scored that requirement and their overall view on satisfaction. Contrary to that, if you see no linkage, it probably isn't having an impact. So that's why we tend to sort of use 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 the word impact. I feel I should stop there, Stephen. No, that was all that was all true, <laughs> and uh, as you'd hope, but but, but yeah, that, that's quite clear, I think. And yeah, it, it's I suppose the 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 next point is. What's the interpretation of that? So, yeah, you know, yeah that a correlation shows us how much impact each requirement is having on overall satisfaction, or you might use net promoter score yeah, or anything uh, else yeah, you're interested in. Yeah, that's always interesting. And the way what we then do with that is say, well, those are the things that are, if you like, front of mind for front a customer. Mind, yeah. Those are the things that, that are making a difference right now to how a customer feels about you overall. Um, and I suppose implicitly, what's making a difference between how they'd score you and how they'd score competitors. Yeah. So they tend to be the differentiators. And I think where the analysis gets really powerful in terms of understanding what criteria customer are judging you against is when you put your stated importance against your impact and you can really start seeing in the analysis that the book sort of points out what are the givens, mm -hmm. what's expected, the stuff you're going to get no credit for, the hygiene factors, the stuff you've just got to be routinely perfect at. And then what's the stuff that's really going to drive up or drive down satisfaction because customers say it's important and you can see it's having an impact. And then where are there some hidden opportunities, perhaps mm -hmm. things that are having more of an impact on customers than you realise. And one of the things I always think is interesting is dependent how satisfied your customers are will probably depend which one of those three things you should be focusing yeah. on. And sometimes it's the boring stuff. If things are going wrong, you need to get them right. Mm -hmm. You know, if the, if the restaurant is serving cold food, it doesn't yeah. matter how good the service is, it, or on dirty plates, it doesn't matter how good the service is. And it, So certainly year one survey, just seeing the different, I mean, it's nearly a hierarchy of needs, mm. it, I think is such a strong learning point because it's the first time you're seeing the, yeah. the world through the customer's perspective. The, the, the chart you're describing is of stated importance versus impact. The way I always use that um, with a client is I sort of mentally put it together with the Carnot model. Um, the oh, idea yeah. that, you, that you have, you know, givens or satisfaction maintainers and delighters or satisfaction enhancers. And I think the logic of that, if you follow it through, is the first place to look, particularly if you're not great, but you know, the first place to look is top left hand corner. And look in the givens, the things that are really important, but not having a huge impact at the moment. And ask yourself the question, how much dissatisfaction is up there? Yep. So the average is not really the point. The point is what percentage of dissatisfaction is there? In a way, if everyone's scoring you 8 out of 10, that's probably okay. 
for a given. But if you've got 30% of people scoring you less than 6 out of 10, then you've got a real problem you need to fix. Yeah. And then I'd move to the top right-hand corner, with the satisfaction drivers box, as we call it, uh, where you've got high importance and high impact. Yeah. Because those are the things that are going to carry on making a difference. If you can get someone from a 7 to an 8 to a 9 to a 10, that'll keep feeding through to them improving their overall satisfaction yeah. with you. And, and I think one of the challenges sometimes when presenting results out is that area is usually quite exciting and sexy. That's the latest thinking. That's developing the relationship. That's understanding the customer. That's the vision of our company. But there's no point doing that unless you've got the top left-hand box sorted first. So I sometimes find I have to rein people in and say, yeah, this is great stuff, but you need to get the givens right. You know, we need yeah. to deliver stuff on time. We need to have these right. And... Sometimes I see the, you know, the browbeaten operations or delivery guy smile because all the things that they only ever get criticised for, it shows it's the foundation that everything else is built on. Mm, um, absolutely. I mean, I think... And that's how customers see it. You know, the, the givens... It's funny, we, we use this word given, and then we say, oh, yeah, that's a given, but... But then customers are dissatisfied 30% of the time. It's not a given, 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 is it? It ought to be, but but it isn't. So I think the the word can be a bit of a trap sometimes. But yeah, it's things that you're not going to get credit for. You're only going to get beaten up for if you fail on them. Yeah, basic expectation Mm -hmm. being met. I think then one of the other things the chapter talks about is, is we will default to numbers with sort of basic analysis. But... It's that ability then, if someone is dissatisfied, like you're talking about, you probe, find out why they're dissatisfied, you get the qualitative, you get the understanding, and that's really useful, because if people are dissatisfied with delivery, what is it they're talking about? Is it deliveries are late? Is it part deliveries? Yeah. Is it the, um, the time lag? There's numerous topics under that, so you usually have to get into a bit of common coding then to really understand what customers are dissatisfied with and that itself is a really useful is a really useful exercise and just to go off with a little Greg tangent on a soapbox it's surprising how little value for money price comes out in scenarios um, like this I think there's a fear when you do a survey well, aren't all customers just going to say they want things cheaper well they would if you asked them that question but if you're doing a proper customer survey people will get much more into doing the, the, they'll share what they think, they'll share their view on your pricing level and your value for money. But it is very, very, very rare that an outcome would be the pricing structure is wrong. And that can be a bit of a myth. Um, Outcomes of the survey aren't about price. They might be about value for money, and you can do some clever correlations to see what's driving value of money. Um, But it's much more tangible than that. Yeah, I mean, I think your existing customers, broadly speaking, must have been happy with your value for money. Yeah, they've accepted it. So I think it's it's not the right place to actually address price. To be honest, the customer satisfaction survey. If you get a really strong signal on it, um, to your point, you don't usually. So if you do, then you might have a problem. But it's very, very rare for that to come up. And one, the one place I have seen that as a as a real genuine niggle for customers, was in a B2B market, and I won't obviously name the companies involved, but, but where our client had a real name in that market, and some customers 
who, who were integrators or distributors sort of felt that they had to buy from our client because of their name even, and, and that they were kind of trading on that name. Yeah, right. um, so the, the quality didn't really justify it, right. but, but their name did. I mean, they would describe themselves as hostage. Our client would probably describe himself as premium. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And, and the danger is that at some point there isn't a lot of Stockholm syndrome. Is that hostages will want to get away if they can? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think there might be some things to address there for that particular client. Uh, but I think you could also j- justifiably argue that what is reputation except quality over a long time? You know, yeah. um, so they've, they've probably earned that reputation. In terms of software to help basic analysis, and most of what we're describing here is very doable on an Excel spreadsheet. You can do it all in Excel. I, Excel scares me for, for serious analysis for a number of reasons. So it, it's, it's clunky yeah. and it's slow just because it, you know, it's a spreadsheet program. It's not, it's not designed for data analysis. It's yeah. a spreadsheet. It's very easy to mess up your data in Excel. To, you know, to sort some of it and not others, get it out of order, yeah. inadvertently type <laughs> over a cell, enter a formula that doesn't quite include the whole range. Yeah. It, it's so easy to make mistakes. It, it's a very fragile tool to do serious analysis in. Um, so frankly, I don't think it's fit for purpose. Okay, so if you were going to sort of, if someone was getting into this in a bit more serious nature, larger number of customers, larger number of data, any sort of particular software packages that you'd, you'd, you'd um, recommend? I wouldn't recommend a particular package. And I think what I'd mention is, is kind of types of software. So yeah. for example, you, you might you might look at a, a sort of database type approach. So I mean, access if you want to go kind of old school, those sorts of things. But more, more, more often people are now using sort of tools like Power BI, which you might well have in the organization already um, yeah. and allow sort of quite exciting data visualization stuff to be, to be you know, with work and, and knowledge it to be built on top of the data. So that, that allows you to link the data up with other data sources quite easily. Yeah. And I think you can do some quite powerful stuff with that. Um, if you want to get into the more sort of jazzy visualization end of things, Tableau is the name that everyone always mentions. Yeah. It is quite expensive. It, it's a great piece of kit. Yeah. The, yeah. The, those are both true. I mean, it's interesting because in what you're talking about there, this is now taking the analysis and making it have an, an impact within the organisation. And we would naturally default to that because we know that can sometimes be a challenge in yeah. terms of getting people to understand the information and certainly to act on it. It has to be communicated yeah. in, a certain, in, a, in a certain way. On the more kind of analytical end, yeah. um, the traditional way of doing it, so a research agency such as us, we, we use uh, IBM SPSS. There are you know, a number of similar-ish packages. Um, it's been a while since I looked at them, but the likes of Systat and Statistica and Stata, um, you know, statistics packages yeah. that will, they'll make the analysis a lot more robust and a lot easier and quicker than trying to do it in Excel. Uh, and they'll allow you to do some more advanced things, you know, once you, once you learn how, what you're doing basically. And significance testing and you know more advanced driver analysis and things like that. So yeah, it's not. I wouldn't recommend a particular package, but yeah. there's, there's a sort of class of packages that that will do that for you. I think the other thing that's worth mentioning is, depending on your abilities, the, there's a piece of software or perhaps a programming language even called R, which is a free yeah. statistical programming language, which is a, a fantastic tool that you can do 
basically any analysis you can think of and, and really wonderful data viz in, uh, but there's a very steep learning curve. You'll basically need to, to learn to program. But yeah, that, that's, that's probably the full landscape, I guess. And at the other extreme, I still quite often grab my calculator. Well, one thing I would say is whichever tool you're using, this is a personal bugbear now, but I think the principle of you should have a rough idea what the answer is going to be before the software spits it out is a really, it's an important instinct to maintain. So you should have a filter that says, that seems a bit weird. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and that's probably the best the best defence against having made some stupid mistake that then permeates <laughs> all the way through the report. Yeah, certainly when something jumps out, you think, that is a real surprise. <laughs> now, whether that surprise is positive or negative, I've learnt over the years, let's just check. Yeah, so 70% chance it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> let's just check that, because sometimes the positive ones you readily accept. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it wasn't quite like that. It's just I'd coded the not applicables as an 11 yeah. rather than a 10. <laughs> oh, yeah. No wonder the scores seem quite high. <laughs> yeah, it's easily done. Yeah, actually, that's a, a very... Really important point that the chapter kind of misses, which is step one of basic analysis is make sure the data is right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think that, that probably wraps up basic analysis. Um, I think thank you for a bit more than basic there, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I think we did too. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you're using iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and review us. And if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at TLF Research or at tlfresearch.com. And we'll be back um, next month to look at the next chapter, which is monitoring performance over time. Thank you very much. Thank you.